This podcast is brought to you by 3B, the mental wellbeing company, hosted by Claire and Sue, co-founders of 3B. When you've got your wellbeing mojo on, you're firing on all cylinders, you're accepting of whatever comes your way, you're being resilient. We believe that one size does not fit all, and we want you to discover your own wellbeing mojo. So join us on our podcast journey where we'll be exploring the many different aspects of mental well-being. And hopefully, you can learn what you need to get your well-being mojo on. This week's podcast features an extract from our weekly radio show, Let's Talk Well-Being. We've got the fabulous Laura in the studio today. Hi, Laura. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Claire. Hello. So Laura is a brain-based, heart-led, positive parenting coach. How fab does that sound? It sounds really delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Does, doesn't it? She uses encouragement to help you raise happy kids without losing your sanity. I really liked that bit. She's been living as an expat in Paris for the last 25 years. We have a Parisian with us. After almost 20 years working for an international organisation as an office manager, she finally took the plunge in 2019 to become a full-time parenting and life coach so I love the way you phrased yourself like with what's going on um yeah helping to raise happy kids without losing your sanity (laughs) can that actually be done Laura (laughs) I think I say it can be done most of the time if we're aiming for perfection then we're always going to fail but if we accept the fact that we can only be good enough parents then actually yes and if we take care of ourselves first maybe as well maybe that would be the other big important thing is actually we need to look out for us in order to be able to take care of our kids better I love that I love how you phrase that so if we're looking to be perfect then potentially we're aiming to fail because we're not we're not perfect nobody is we've just got we've got to accept our limitations and you know look at like what good work we're doing how that's really working for us why do you say brain-based heart-led where does that come from oh where does that come from I think it comes from the fact that actually for me What's been really important over the years is understanding the science behind parenting and that um, what I put in place now in my family isn't the same thing as the things that maybe my parents or parents of their generation put in place. But mostly that's because the research, especially in neuroscience, has changed. And so we understand parenting in a very different way to the era of, I think my mum talked about somebody called Dr. Spock, which was her who, you know, was the parenting guru of the time. And so as things evolved, then understanding how our brains react 
particularly in times of stress and how children's brains both react and mature can change how we might interact with our kids. So that's the brain-based bit. And then the heart then is because if we don't put our full passion for our kids and our full love for our kids into those relationships, if we don't build that connection with them first, then we're just kind of going through the motions. And I think our kids feel that difference, you know, in how we come to them, whether we say to them, oh, look, do you want to do this? Or if we say, oh, wow, shall we do this together? And our kids know. And so then we're not kind of tricking them mm. in how we parent. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, just even saying that, I'm just thinking even from me, if somebody said, oh, should we go and do this? I'll go, oh, wow, we could go and do this. I think I'd already be going, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that then. I'd already get excited. But that's probably because I'm a big kid. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it, you are so true if you put passion into it. And we know that from people we interview and, you know, the kind of things that they do. And it comes across with you already in this brief little bit that we've been able to talk and before the interview it comes across and I think you can't I don't think you can um falsify that I think it's it's a genuine thing you know if it if it's coming through it's just automatic you get that and I think that's the really I love that so it's heart-led it's really like your passion coming through yeah and, it's fantastic and, and then like uh, there's this other thing as well is um I use a lot of encouragement and in, in my work and I teach parents how to be encouraging. And actually at the middle of the word encouragement, there's the word courage. And then right inside that, there's the French word cœur, which means heart as well. And so if we are kind of blowing courage into our children, then and kind of standing back behind them and saying, I know you can do this. I believe in you. I know it's hard and yet you can do it then by us kind of, yeah, blowing that courage, I can't think of a better analogy, but breathing out that courage into them, then wow, won't they go far? Definitely, I think it's a brilliant analogy. I, I mean, I love the simplicity, what first seems really simple of that title of, of what you do is encouraging parents. I think it's sort of like, well, that's easy to get on board with. That's mm. the kind of thing you do. But actually when you've looked at it, and explained it there there's so much more to that I really like that there's courage in that and you're sort of like blowing it through them you're guiding them with that and it's got to be a really good way of doing it I, I agree with this neuroscience things are always changing they're finding things out so it doesn't mean that things have been done wrong before it's just we're learning all the time and it's using that new knowledge and understanding to help us to like bring up our children so that they're much happier I mean one of my one of my favorite quotes is John Lennon uh, when asked by his teacher what do you want to be when you grow up and he said happy and they were like no you've got that wrong <laughs> and it's like no that's a perfect isn't it it's like I'm sure I, I, I just can imagine every parent out there if their child grows up and they're happy then that's got to be, you must feel fulfilled about that because that's all you want for them, surely. Yeah. And in fact, it's an activity that I do um, in the first workshop when I meet parents 
Uh, we sit down and first of all, we talk about the challenges. So we'll talk about, you know, my child is angry, he's hitting, he's kicking, he's biting, he's lying, whatever it is. And then we take a step back and we say, right, and when they're 30, what are the things that I want for my child? And these amazing things come up. You know, I want them to be confident. I want a sense of humor. I want creativity. I want them to be considerate. I want them to help others. All sorts of things come out. But when we've thought about that, then that also shifts how we parent. Because if I want my child to be autonomous, then I'll do things in one way. If I want them to be loyal, then I might take a slightly different approach to education. And, and so then our choices in how we parent become deliberate, we own them. And even better if we can then, you know, if we are co-parenting, if we can talk about those values that we have with whoever we co-parent with and set those values together and then live them out on the journey of being parents. Wow. <laughs> I'm just kind of wishing that I'd talked to you sort of 20 years ago, you know, my, uh, my eldest is 23, so. <laughs> Never too late. I, well, I have grandmas on my And own. honestly, they're, they're fantastic human and I absolutely love spending time with them. But, you know, as you say, it's not without its challenges. Um, I'm interested to ask you, Laura, about this relationship between, you know, kind of because we're in the well-being arena here at 3B mm -hmm. and you know it, it strikes me that we don't necessarily make that correlation between you know family dynamics the way that we parent what we're doing with our kids to well-being yeah. it's not but I think it's something that maybe we're we're kind of emerging into I don't know we becoming as we become more aware of ourselves and our own behaviors and our own kind of thought processes and, and you know and how we respond rather than react are we starting to make those kind of connections with, you know, our well-being as individuals and as a family, do you think? I think we I think we are. I agree with you. It's a little bit in its infancy. And also because of what we experienced ourselves as children, we kind of we don't always allow ourselves to do it. If I'm going to bring it back to the brain science, there's a guy called Dan Siegel, who's an American child neuropsychologist or something like that. And he teaches us a model like the hand model of the brain but how to understand what happens when we're stressed and that our, our uh, thinking brain physically disconnects um, and so we are in fight flight and freeze and when I teach that to parents and say look you know when your child spills the orange juice on the floor what's happening is in your brain is that your brain has disconnected so you can't think and furthermore, for your under six-year-old, that bit of the brain hasn't really even properly developed yet. But when we know that, that begins to shift how we parent. And when we know that about ourselves, that actually, you know, if I've had a bad day at work, then my brain is a little bit disconnected. You know, if I've had a bad day at work and then I go and pick my child up from school, then my brain's disconnected. They're coming out of school, so they might be a little bit flipped as well. And we just kind of escalate because we mirror off each other. Yeah. When I know that, then actually I can start taking steps to do something about it. And so it's not necessarily about solving it in the moment. It's about saying, oh, this thing happens time and time again. For me, for example, it was picking my daughter up from school. She would walk out of school and 
demand a snack immediately and it really was in an aggressive way and I came I was coming from a busy day a stressful day at work and the two of us would just set each other off and so we talked and we came up with an agreement that actually I would just hand her a snack silently and it would be a relatively quick sugar thing because then that would give her time you know her blood sugar would fix itself I would have time to calm down and then afterwards you know five minutes in then we could start saying oh how was your day how was your day do you want to go to the park or do you want to go straight home as opposed to launching into a big argument with each other that's great that isn't it so you've like you've figured something out you've gone what needs to change and you've put that in place and it's sort of like and then that helps that it is it's just looking at maybe something a little bit different that's what it seems like that you've done there and and we can only really look at those things differently when we've looked after ourselves first it takes us about 20 minutes to close our brain back down again and get access to thinking and so we need to feel better. We can only do better when we're feeling better. And so with parents, I'll get them to sit down and not only think about, well, what could their kids do to feel better, but actually what could we do to feel better? We have something called a wheel of choice uh, in our family. And it's a little wheel that we spin um, to find something that we can do to feel better. And, you know, there are bits on the wheel that have like there's a glass of wine and the man shed and breathing. And, you know, my kids are not allowed. To, if they get to the wine one, they have to spin again. But <laughs> we come up with ideas together on how we can feel better. And each of us is going to need different things, you know, whether it's listening to music or reading or looking outside or even going for a walk. Mm. But we do those things first. And then when we're feeling better, then we can fix the spill orange juice or the argument or the shouting at each other by apologizing or by mopping up the orange juice, whatever it is, because we're thinking again. Mm. And then the next step would be, right, what are we going to do so that the next time this thing happens, it'll be a bit different? Because we know with our kids that it's the same thing time after time. You know, we have one child who is, more likely to lie to us one child who is more clumsy one child who is more this they those things just kind of keep happening mm. and so we don't have to fix it straight away we can take our take our time and go right well you know that's going to happen tomorrow and the day after and the day after and it's okay I get to be an imperfect parent and sometimes lose it and shout at my kids and I get to say sorry and try again tomorrow I love that because it's sort of it, it, you're allowing humanity aren't you allowing us to be human you, you're showing your kids that you know you're capable of apologizing that you will make mistakes you know you will say the wrong thing however enlightened we are you know however much we read about neuroscience <laughs> it, it's all that like you say managing it in the moment and that we're all learning we're on a continuous learning journey and I think that's that's such a great gift to give them, just to have that that awareness that it's okay to make mistakes, but it's all about what you do next. That's the most important part, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think what I really liked was the fact that, like you said, it's going to take you 20 minutes to like come out and to be able to think again. So instead of, right, well, I need to go and do something, you've got something already there. 
So you've got this wheel that's already there. You've put things in place so that that helps. It takes that away from having to think about, well, what can I go and do when you're in that? Because I know sometimes like me and Sue have been talking and, you know, if I'm like not in a good place and she'll say, well, what can I go? I can't, I can't think. think Whereas actually, if you just have that wheel, love the wheel. Is that the wheel next to you, by the way? It is. That is my wheel. It's currently got some examples in French from a workshop I was leading. So that's that's an IKEA hack, as it were. It's a thing you can buy from IKEA, and it's nice because it does this little clicky noise as you turn it around. But you can just do it with a piece of paper if your kids are that age, or if they're younger. Actually, the thing underneath it is a is a box. But just getting a shoebox and putting some things with your child, and that's really the major difference I would say in how kind of in my parenting style is actually it's not about the parent deciding and doing the thing for the child because if the parent does the wheel then it's the child that hasn't got autonomy and autonomy is really important to me if the child does their wheel or makes their box and has you know a doo-doo and a book about feelings and some red paper to scrunch up and whatever they need in order to feel better then because it's the child's, then they're more likely to use it. And you're absolutely right. We need to practice using it when we're feeling better, you know, when we're feeling good, actually, because we can't do it in the moment. It, it reminded me when you were talking about the two of you and what to say, or what do you do? I have a friend who's diabetic. And when she goes into a, starts going into a diabetic crisis, if you say to her, oh, do you know, you really need to drink some orange juice now, then she will send you somewhere out of the room. (laughs) Um, But if you just take a carton of orange juice and put it in front of her, then she'll drink it because she's not thinking about it. Her body is responding to what she needs. And we can do the same thing with kids. You know, if we've already agreed about the things that they need the thing that they want in their box if we've got the box even better we can just stick the box in front of them but we can also because we know them well give them some music and some headphones or a book whatever it is that we know helps them feel better i think there's just some fantastic things for our listeners to be able to like already put into place maybe yeah get the child to get like and get them to put a box together and make the wheel together that kind of thing Laura, I really want to ask, so you worked for an international organisation as an office manager for almost 20 years and then finally took the plunge to become this parenting and life coach. Why? What what was it that made that change for you or instigated that change even? Um, Gosh, that's a that's a good question. I think it was a combination of factors, actually. I was going through quite a difficult period in my life and my mental health wasn't that great. I was actually being diagnosed with depression. And so I was off work um, and I was on medication. I was doing talk therapy. And then at the same time, uh, there was an opportunity came up to attend some parenting workshops. And I went to this woman's house in this beautiful suburb of Paris with uh, bone china teacups and saucers and and comfortable sofas. And and the hostess just welcomed me and I felt safe. 
And then the person who was leading the workshops, um, the, the workshops themselves are really experiential. So we um, kind of get to role play what it's like to be a child hearing different things. So for example, hearing two different phrases like go and brush your teeth, as opposed to do you want to brush your teeth with the red toothbrush or the blue toothbrush tonight? But when you're a child, you're pretending to be a child of three years old and you hear those two things from your role playing parent, you get you feel something different and you think something different and you're deciding something different. And how that made me feel was so transformational that I just couldn't get enough of it. And so I talked to the leader at the end of the course. and I was like, this is incredible. How do I get more? And so she was like, well, actually what you need to do is go over to London and go and get trained. That's how you would do more. And for me, um, actually being able to lead workshops means that I get to do it again and again. And so each time that I lead a workshop, I'm learning something. I'm learning something about my own kids. I'm learning something about myself. And I'm getting ideas because we brainstorm together solutions to difficulties and so actually I get fed I suppose is the word like I get nourished by new ideas for me and my parenting mm. by being in workshops and facilitating workshops for people. I think that's a really key message what you've just said there about the the fact that you're delivering this but even though you went along every time you do it you're learning from this and I think very often people think we have it all together so it's like with me and Sue so we must be like mindful all the time and meditate and you know there's this day where we go I've not done that or you know I'm not feeling right oh well this is why because maybe Sue hasn't done her yoga I haven't done my meditation whatever it happens to be but each time we deliver things we always learn because you're always yeah. open to that and learning that and so I think that's a really key point that you've made there each time you do this you're still learning more about it even though you're facilitating this yeah. you know because it's really good you're still open to to that learning that's going on I think that's a great way of, yeah. of still working through this I, I've just finished um, a series in my newsletters of the things that I am still rubbish at my parenting fails because I think that's, there's this tendency when we look at uh, somebody and we see them, especially when we see them on social media, then we're like, right, they've got it sorted. And I just wanted to break that myth for my readers. And so I was like, well, actually, I still shout. I find chores frustrating. You know, I find this and that frustrating still. And I'm, I'm still working on being a parent. And I, I think what I hope, what I set out to do was just go, okay, I've taken certain steps on a journey and I hope that my kids will go further on that journey toward being peaceful parents who want to develop kids' independence and, and well-being. I love that because it's, it's like the legacy, isn't it? The leg And what you're doing is, like you say, your generation, you're sort of doing, taking it so far but you're always going to be learning and then, you know, your kids will grow and then it's kind of where will they take it next based on, you know, kind of what they've been given yeah. and, and so on and so on. And I think it's, 
we do have a responsibility, don't we, as as parents to look at ourselves and to kind of look at how we can do better, but not in a sort of beating ourselves up kind of way, which is, is sort of what you're saying. I love that idea of like, you know, the things I'm still rubbish at. <laughs> but it, it's sort of the, at the heart of everything that you're talking about for me is, is something that Claire and I come back to frequently with, within our work and what we seem to talk about with all our guests. It it's always seems to be about being open and being prepared to know yourself, yeah. you know, and, and to take a look without, you know, without that kind of heavy critique, it's just that, that sort of acceptance and that, you know, okay, well, what, what do I do with this information? You know, it's, it's sort of, where do I take it? And how, how can I nourish? How can I enrich? How can I, you know, kind of educate myself? And yeah. How do I, how do I learn from my mistake? Um, Jane Nelson is the woman that wrote the many of the positive discipline books, the series of books. And her big phrase is that mistakes are amazing opportunities to learn. As a recovering perfectionist, I find it quite difficult to agree with the amazing <laughs> bit. Um, but I'm learning <laughs> to accept them that, you know, regularly I have my kids coming up whenever I get something wrong saying to me, it's okay, mommy, because mistakes are opportunities to learn. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's great to hear <laughs> kids quoting you back at you or quoting <laughs> you. <laughs> I love that. I love that recovering perfectionist. Mm. I'm a recovering <laughs> perfectionist. And there's so many people that, yeah, we talk to. Uh, they, they, this is the world where it's got to. People feel that they have to be perfect. Mm. So I absolutely applaud you for showing the things that you're still not good at because I actually that's showing so much more of a truer picture that people can then take that on board that actually people aren't all perfect it doesn't work like that and those people that stand there and do you know maybe you need to not watch them watch somebody else who's really authentic about where they are and what they're doing I love your whole ethos and the way you do. I love how you get passionate because it comes across, you know, mm -hmm. you're all over the place. You, big smile on your face. Really passionate about this. How, what is it that, so obviously you're learning each time you're presenting these. But obviously if you went through depression, and I very often find people who do are much better at understanding and being there for other people and, and being able to facilitate that much better. What kind of things is it that you do maybe daily or regularly that help you with your mental well-being? Do you know, something that came up as you, you were talking about that is actually we know, goes back to the brain-based bit, that, um, that doing things for other people, some form of altruism, uh, is a really good way to help our mental health. Um, and, and as I think about it, like in whatever opportunity that is, we have a community shop and I get involved with that and I meet people, which is a bit difficult for me because I'm really a bit of an introvert. But doing things that slightly take us out of our comfort zone or that are to help others is something, it's not kind of a daily pattern in my life, but definitely that has helped me in that journey of out of depression. It's like, right, what am I doing for someone else this month, for example? And then I think... Now, in a more kind of daily thing, it's a real mixture of, of three things, of like body, mind, and spirit. And so when I started 
off the kind of that healing journey. It was very much mind, you know, I was on medication and doing talk therapy. And as I kind of journeyed along, then it became a bit more body. And I read Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. And my mind just went, wow. And I was like, put aside the talk therapy and go and do some sport, for example. And now daily, I think my day starts with all three. I walk my boys down to the local um, metro, which is the underground station for their journey to school. Um, so I'm getting some physical exercise. Um, and that, yeah, it's not a lot, eight minutes, but it starts the day off well. And on the way home, I actually take time, rather than walking directly back home, I walk through, we have this kind of green corridor through our town. So just take time to stop and look. It's like, well, what's what's the new smell or the new the plant that's flowered today and to kind of feed my senses as well by taking time in that. And I also um, listen to a faith-based app quite often um, and use that as a time to nourish kind of that spiritual side. Or uh, if I'm not doing that, I do something called PQ, uh, which is positive intelligence. Um, reps which which quite like mindfulness actually it came out when I did life coach uh training but it's all about kind of being aware of where you are and kind of what's the closest thing that you can hear and the furthest away thing that you can hear and just spending time doing that and then what's the furthest away thing that you can see and the closest thing that you can see so just coming back to like here I am in this present moment um those that kind of little circuit of the journey which kind of takes 20 minutes or so is how I set my day up my weekday um it sounds about that it does <laughs> it really does I was, I was so kind of engaged listening to you then I was sort of imagining I'm really fascinated by the PQs yeah. um that sounds like something to go away and look up um Nice. Yeah, nice he looks. It's a guy called Shazad, and he, um, in in a kind of a, a very simple way, but he talked about our saboteurs in life, so things that kind of stop us from being our best self. Mm -hmm. And he, rather than letting those continue to sabotage our lives, what if we switched it and we saw those as or that little thing as being something like when we put our fingers. On something hot it's a warning and so if we can just say oh look I am taking a bit too much risk for example or oh look I'm procrastinating a little but not dwell in it mm -hmm. so that's the purpose of like well I notice it and then I move on to yeah. what he calls PQ reps which is for me the equivalent of mindfulness really mm -hmm. and perhaps you would describe it as something else but um, and focusing on something that is positive and then we can just notice the little difficulties rather than allowing them to take over our lives. I'll send you a link to it afterwards. Soon. That would be fantastic. I mean, noticing is something I think Claire and I must bang on about it every single week. Must It's kind of, it's definitely, it, cause, because you're absolutely right. It's that, what you said there about noticing it, giving acknowledgement, you know, to what's happening without dwelling you know without yeah. sort of being sucked into it and letting it define 
everything that's going on for you in that particular day. And that's, that's the, and I was just going to say, that's the training, isn't it? It's like yeah. we're in training for that. Sorry, go on. Uh, but, and, and that actually seeing the noticing as being a good thing. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm out of my comfort zone or actually I'm at risk, you know, but it's not as big as I make it, but it's a little risk, right? Do I want it or don't I? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I'm really enjoying kind of hearing all about your journey, sort of where you're going and, and your tips, you know, for both parenting. And I love this idea of nourishing you first. That 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 word's come up a lot for me. You know what 3B were sort of really big on emotions, you know, like leaning into feelings, expressing emotions, using the emotions are giving us. And it sounds a bit like with the noticing, you know, it's sort of um there's a, a link there I think with what you're saying I don't know if you agree with that you know we refer to this as sort of our being emotionally wealthy um do you see that there's a relationship between emotions and mental well-being and, and maybe the work that you're doing there as well uh, absolutely and I think um again it's something that perhaps as children we weren't really often allowed to feel all of our biggest feelings you know Typically, if you were a boy, you will have heard messages as you grew up about boys don't cry, uh, get your stiff British upper lip, as it were. Um, and for me, um, I'm, I'm a redhead. You can't see that on the radio. But so I had messages around redheads and being angry as a child, and not being allowed to be an angry young girl because I was a girl. Maybe boys would have been allowed to be angry. Um, and a lot of kind of often people had to suppress their big emotions. But we know that when we suppress them, then it's just going to come out somewhere else. Um, and so one of the key bits of work I do with parents is get away from this thing. You know, when a, a young child falls over in the playground, um, there is this tendency to tell them, oh, don't worry, it's nothing. But, you know, if I fell over in the playground um, and there was blood pouring down my leg and my friend turned around to me and said, oh, don't worry, it's just a scratch. Then I would stay upset and our child, children stay upset when we tell them it's nothing because they're confused because they're feeling pain or shock or surprise, whatever it is they're feeling. And instead, if we can switch that and either just describe what we're seeing in the way of like, well, you fell over, look, you know, there's, you've got a scratch on your knee, there's blood, shall we go home and clean it up? Are you feeling scared? And perhaps they are and perhaps they aren't, but beginning to teach them words about feelings. And I think it's one of those myths of society that if we tell a child that they are scared or we use the word scared then all of a sudden they're going to feel scared but actually the child's already feeling that feeling and all we are doing is putting a name on it um back to Dan Siegel he calls it name it to tame it and actually by connecting the two different parts of our brain our feeling part and our logical part and telling the story we might need to do that again. You know, when we get home, our child might be upset about it again and start crying. We say, 
oh, you know, you fell over in the playground. And then we came home and we cleaned up your knee. And look, you've got a plaster on it now. Perhaps you were scared in the playground when you saw the blood or when your friend pushed you over or whatever it is. But by telling the story with them, then that helps them process their feelings. And actually, it means that we are much less likely to stay in the big emotion because we've told them it, they can close their brain down again and move on to something else. And once we say, oh, look, you fell over and then they'll just like, oh, yeah, so I did. And sometimes they'll just pick themselves off and go on to the next thing. We've not denied what what their reality is. That makes sense. I, I think that's so key. I think um, this like um, toxic positivity, you know, that people talk about, it feels like it links to that for me because it's sort of instead of brushing over it and going, oh, that everything's it's sort of like, did it hurt? Are you scared? And it's fine to say that. And then it's moving on from there because you're able to, to talk about that. I, I completely agree with you with this. People say, well, if you say that, it's like when we go into businesses and we talk about, you know, if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and all this lot. And then you get some people like hey, maybe somebody in HR will go, oh, they're all going to come out and say they're going off with stress now, aren't they? And it's like. No, actually, just because you've talked about it, it doesn't mean that people are going to do that. It means it gives them that ownership that naturally maybe that's what I'm feeling. And with children, you're giving them the vocabulary and the explanation. So rather than having this feeling that's going on within them that they're not able to explain or understand, you've labelled it or you've given them some labels that they could maybe choose from. They then understand it's the next time. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I know this feeling. I'm okay with it then. Yeah. And I've done this before. Nothing happened. Therefore, I don't need to be scared. And so I'll still have the pain where I fell over and cut my knee, but I don't need to be scared with it as well. And I think it's that's empowering. Sure. Mm. I mean, that's empowering for us. So for our children, it must be empowering as well. Yeah, and, and the more words we can give them as they grow to kind of sort out those emotions. So we, when they're little, we'll start with kind of sad, mad, bad and glad. And, and that's about it. And then, you know, there are books like The Colour Monster by Anna Yenas that are used in schools when we're talking about uh, feelings and about emotions. Um, and, and then when we get kind of deeper into it with kids and introduce ideas of surprise and disgust and jealousy what's jealousy feel like and kind of take it from various there's lots of different feelings behind the idea of jealousy as well and exploring that and well when I'm feeling angry what angry how does that feel in my body mm. what do I notice is going on in my body when I feel angry or when the teacher asks me a question and I begin to feel stressed well I notice that my heart is get beating faster I notice that my cheeks are going a bit warm I notice this, my legs get clammy. Okay, so when I notice those things in my body, what can I do to feel better? So it's prevention. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's just, it's fabulous. I'm really um, enjoying this conversation. What I'd like to know is, so how do you work with people within your encouraging parents? Is it one-to-one? Because -one? I know you're a parenting and life coach. What kind of things, though, do you do? What do I do? Uh, lots. <laughs> what do I do? I, um, I run group workshops. So I run those online. 
and it's kind of an intensive two months where we do we meet weekly and do those kind of experiential activities and we do kind of a, a hotspot of coaching um, and that is really for people who it is not for you although I said I'm, I'm quite introverted but I love role plays but if you hate role plays or I have my upstairs neighbor she's an actress and she's, she's like nah busman's holiday could never come and do that with you um, but but they are great for understanding feelings so that is one thing I do group workshops I do them online in the evening and in the daytime and then I work one-on-one -on -one and I work with the adults so I don't work with kids when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one. Um, I'll work with one or both parents and I'll give them a bunch of tools depending on what their difficulty is because that way they get to choose the tool that suits their family. I'm never the expert in someone else's family. I can't be, I don't live it. And so I give them a range of tools and that gives them the opportunity to sit down as a family and say, right, this will work for us and that won't work for our child. So they get to pick them. Um, and then I also go into local schools and teach uh, positive discipline in the classroom. So that is all about uh, emotional resilience, um, about getting kids to co-create classroom guidelines, I use guidelines rather than rules, and, and create routines as well that work in, in their classroom. And, you know, whether that is making a feeling better space in their classroom or a buddy bench or things like that, just kind of coming up with ideas for supporting their emotional well-being in schools. Because when we are afraid, we can't learn anything. So we need to deal with that fear. And that's just as true in the workplace as it is um, as it is in schools. And so I also run uh, parenting workshops for businesses as well. So whether that's online or in person, I go into companies and talk about parenting because we're teaching leadership skills effectively. Mm. I love that. I love how you've made that, yeah distinction with that because you're right yeah sorry Sue you were no say. I was just gonna say but it's it's all relevant because Claire and I often we talk about you turn up to work as a whole person and if you've got stuff going on at home and you're struggling as a parent that's going to impact on your on your day job you know Absolutely. you're, you're going to bring that with you because it's about your kids it's about your family you can't just switch that off so no. actually like you say it, it's it's aligning with leadership skills anyway but also it's maybe kind of supporting you with what might be happening in your personal life so it's sort of you win all round really don't you you get to go and I yeah. think even if you don't have children, I think it's it's sort of people are learning about, you know, sort of what's happening with the brain. I look, you know, this balance with the brain-based heart-led. And it just builds our awareness as a society, doesn't it, about where everybody's coming from and what our needs are. And, you know, I don't know, just because we focus such a lot, don't we, on, you know, kind of IQ and, you know, kind of the structure of learning and education and it's just like, it's like, for me, there's this whole kind of untapped area that I think we're only just starting to wake up to that we all really want to know how to be a person, you know, and, and actually I think we're in really exciting times in that way, because I think there's a lot of people doing such interesting work, you know, as adults and with young people that, you know, I've got great hope, you know, for the future <laughs> of humanity and how we sort of treat ourselves and one another and the planet. 
etc yeah oh it's such a great chat this afternoon Claire isn't it yes yeah I'm learning things as well but I think you're right there's so much of what you're doing Laura that really does sort of impact with people who don't have children or can impact in different areas yes. so the words that you're using, how you say something, I think is not something that you only use with children. It is definitely something you can use in the workplace as well. That if you know, and you know, when you were talking about your friend, if you'd go, right, well, why don't you go and get yourself a glass of orange or something? That that's not okay. But to just put one in front of it, it's about learning these things and not not taking it personally, but going, okay, well, I need to do so. I want to help that's not worked well what can I do instead and then coming up with that and and I teach so I teach what are called family meetings in in family and then class meetings and you can take that into into the business into the workplace where we start by going around and sharing some encouragement with each other oh you know and then it's kids it's well thank you for playing lego with me or thanks for cooking the meal for me and and when it's in the classroom it's you know thank you thank you for playing with me. And when it's in the workplace, it's gosh, I noticed that you put some real effort into that bit of work um, and making sure that it's encouragement rather than praise. I spend time teaching about that. But can you imagine if we all started our team meetings at work by going around and saying, ah, oh, I noticed that you did this really well last week. What a different workplace we would all be in. Oh God, totally. I wouldn't, I would have probably not left a previous workplace if that had been in place. <laughs> because we do, we spend so much of our life at work. And I'm lucky now. I get I get to work with Sue. So I get encouragement regularly on a probably on a daily basis. And I think Absolutely. that it just makes you better, doesn't it? It makes you want to be there and do what you do. Um, so I think that would be amazing if workplaces took that on board totally. Laura, it's been it's been fabulous. It's been quick as these always go, because um, we're always learning things. Um, just like you were saying before. Um, oh, we need to talk about your song now because we always ask. It's really important because we like music is like an anchor for us. Mm -hmm. So it can really boost our spirits or take us to somewhere that is really good for us. So in these times, it could be like one of the things like you were saying on your wheel. So I'd love to know what your song choice is and why you've chosen oh. this particular song. Well, I have to say it was really, really hard. My list has like six or seven different songs on originally. I thought, oh, how do I choose? And I ended up choosing uh, Jerusalem, which I just, it was this amazing connection during the pandemic. Um, for me, it brought me connection to friends across the world. In particular, I have a, a friend who, uh, runs a charity in South Africa where they were going, but it's an after-school charity. So she was literally going around and handing out books and pencils. But with her team, they stopped and they filmed the dance routine. And so I, I got to watch that and participate in it. It's a song that my entire family likes. And it's a song that we put on when we're doing family jobs. And we haven't talked about chores and how to manage chores today but that's one of our tricks is to like put on some music so that we are all feeling better and then we get on with the 
folding the washing or whatever it is. And it just picks us up. Fabulous. Jerusalem. Yeah. Let's have a listen then. That was an extract from our radio show, Let's Talk Wellbeing. You can listen in every Thursday between 12 and 2 on HCR 92.3 FM or online on hcr923fm.com.